I feel like a nerd sometimes. I like I listen to the podcast and I get really excited. I was like, I, I'm like this is great. No <laughs> one else thinks this, but the three of us. <laughs> Whatever, it's fun. And in a quarantine, it is a good way to keep us sane. Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. How's my audio sound on this with the laptop? Is it better? Yes. Okay. All right. Good. 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 Yeah. On the phone, it, it would get loud and soft really quick. Yeah. I yeah I noticed that listening. Sorry. To James, James will find something to to bitch about when when it's over. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if he's not bitching, he's not talking. We like it when he talks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you do you guys do any of your own electrical work? Yeah, you know that I just went to Lowe's to, to uh, another stay-at-home project for me is to finally finish all the outlets on my garage. So I do all my own electrical. I'm I'm doing the same thing. This is this is my first this is my first go around. I mean, I'm familiar with the concept, but I don't know like all the little intricate details. And I I, sh- I should. I should have known, but I, I didn't think of it, that I didn't realize that there were different types of breakers. Like, I thought they were all the same. Like, oh. I mean, I know there's different I know there's different amperages, yeah. but I didn't know that there was different mounting styles. Brands, so yeah. I, you yeah, I bought, yeah, I, I bought, <laughs> I bought two 20-amp breakers, and then I tried – I got all the wires ran. I put the outlets up, and they looked great. Went to put the breakers in the, out, in the, uh, the panel – and they wouldn't go. And I was like, I was like looking at it. I, I had all the wires hooked up. I had everything ran. I just needed to put the breaker in and it was good to go. <laughs> and it wouldn't click. And I'm like, okay, I just have it wrong. So I was fiddling with it. And then it, I just looked at it and it said type. It, it must stand for, I don't know what it means, but type HOM is what I bought. And then they have all the rest of them in there say type QO. And I'm like, come on. Like I literally have the power off to the house. It's seven. It's eight o'clock at night. Nobody's open, and I have the wrong breakers. So I gotta, I gotta wait until tomorrow morning, and uh, go swap out those breakers for the right type. You don't need to wait. You don't need to wait. Just like electrical tape it onto the, uh, onto the I was, block. I was, I was just, I was just gonna put the, the black bus. wires right onto the main bus bars, and just. <laughs> <laughs> breakers are only if you have a problem you just yeah in a, in a perfect world you don't need the breakers that's right because that's right. every time you turn a switch on or plug something in it's counted the, the the electrical company is how is this man drawing four thousand amps through his electrical box right now <laughs> it's a good way to test the effectiveness of the vol- local volunteer fire department and see if yeah they- really when you burn your, <laughs> when you light your house why, on fire. Why am I smoking? <laughs> I, I, I made sure, like, I tried to think of everything. Like, I, I went through and methodically said, okay, when I'm going from here, I need this. I need this. I need these many outlets. I need this type of wire. I need yeah. these boxes. And I, I need the, the little clips to tack the wire in, you know, along the, the board that it's running along. Right. And I'm like, I had everything and everything was great. I just bought the wrong mounting style. Of breakers. Oh, embrace it. This is part of home ownership. It has to become an expectation that every project means you go to the store at least twice. I know. Well, I mean, being being that it was my 
this is my first time doing any major electrical. I mean, I would consider this major. Anytime I take the the face plate of the main electrical panel off, I, I consider that major. So yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've done that, and it, everything went perfectly smooth. I just need to get the right mounting style, so it, it'll be good. I'll fix that tomorrow morning and put them in, and we'll be good to go. Do you wear Do you wear a wedding ring? Uh, I took that. I took that off real quick. I put that in my pocket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, uh, I, I knew that the whole the whole panel. I had turned the main breaker off, so I knew that the whole panel was dead. But those two yeah. lugs at the top, them scary looking nipples. I try yep. to stay stay away from them, and like the so the the lugs are up here, and then the the two um, grounding and neutral bars are right next yep. to them, and I'm in there with my screwdriver right next to the thing, and I'm like I gotta stay away from that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I guess if I guess if you touched one, it's only 120 volts, and you'd probably get buzzed pretty good, but. I, I I would I don't want to put that to the test. So no. that was the only thing. That was the only thing I paid someone to do uh, to get my um to get my garage uh, stamped and signed off with the city. It had to have electrical inspection. And the yeah. only thing I had I paid a certified electrician to do was to do the main connections from the house to the garage. I ran everything to the panel. I ran everything in the bars, but that main connection. I was like, I'd rather have your name on this and your yeah, hands yeah. on this when it goes live than to, uh, to guess. So I, I know that it would be probably – it's different prices all over the place. But how much was that to get the guy to come do that? Oh, my gosh. So New York will will, will swindle you to death. So the guy originally said – he came to the house while I was building it. And I asked, what's a quote to do it all and what's a quote to just do this minimum part? He said it would be two thousand dollars to do all route all the electrical plan that I had, or it'll be three hundred dollars to the main panel hookup and and sign off. I said okay, I just want the main hookup. So we talked about making sure everything looked right, and then he brought a buddy, and his buddy the whole time they were there for like two hours, and he's like, don't you think it's ridiculous that uh, that we're we're not making very much money on this job like we're professionals. You should be paying. This is like a $1,200 job. I can't, you, you don't, 1200. <laughs> right. And like the whole, like he was trying to upsell me. Like I was, I had cheated him. I'm like, I made the deal with this guy. He chose to have you come as a friend. So I don't know yeah. how this is all going, but I'm not just about to start feeling bad and give you a yeah, right, percent right. upcharge. So that, like, I mean, if, if you want to make more money, I mean, be honest with me and tell me how much you want to charge. But if I don't go with you, don't feel bad about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the other guy was like, yeah, he does that. I was like, does it work? He's like, yeah, it does work on people who feel terrible. I'm like, well, <laughs> boy, I'm glad I stuck up for myself. But gave me I'm time. glad I don't feel terrible. Hook yeah, it up and get the F out of problem. my house. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you realize that we're doing this work for less than $100 an hour. I'm like. You realize that I have a lot of degrees and I make it less than $100 an hour. So, yeah, right. so we're all not making $100 an hour. Yeah. Well, it was probably it was probably 150 for the actual him doing work and then 150 just for him to show up. Yeah, yeah. but he brought somebody. So that, that has it. So it's 75. They were there for two hours. So if I did the math, it would have been $75 per hour per person. And the guy showed up by himself and said he could do it. So now, if if you weren't inclined to do that electrical work yourself, like I don't know what your setup is, but would that 
would the two thousand dollars have been worth it? Like, is, is that was it that extensive of a setup? Uh, I mean, I ran a lot of electrical. I did uh, all the garage wiring. I did all of the twenty amp service, the fifteen amp service, the lights, uh, pulling the the zero 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 two wire from the house to the garage and digging that trench and running all that plastic PVC. That was a lot of work. That was at least 15 hours of my life of hard labor that I could have come back and gone. They probably had the setup to do that in way faster time and it would have been worth it if I didn't feel comfortable. I felt comfortable digging a ditch and pulling wire. It was just making sure that I had the final connections like to a T perfect and that it wasn't going to, you know, be grounded less than 100% and take off on me. So, right. You know, I felt comfortable there. Now, I have a 12 12 pitch roof. And I would tackle a roofing project. I roofed my um, garage, which is only a 212, which is as flat as you can get with still get drainage. Right. So I roofed that by myself uh, after buddies came and helped build the deck of it. But the 12 12 pitch with a 30 year old roof, like just touching it, it was crumbling. And I was like, no, nope, yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna pay someone to do it. It was nine grand to do the roof with skylights, and they were they did the whole thing, stripped it, skylights, new roof in eight hours. That's, that's awesome. That's of your house or of yep. your of your garage? Of my house. It oh. was amazing, and I we saved for it. I mean, it was a huge investment, but oh. I would do that again because oh, it's a 30, 30 year roof. I'm sure, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they had a, yeah, they had a crew. They had um, they had a suite. Rig. Those uh, those bucket things that raise up the trailers that pick up all the those all are the junk. Cool, they they, yeah. they set up this tent this tarp along the the um, the gutter lines and they basically just scraped it and all fell off. And one guy's job was just there. Why his he was there for eight hours just walking around the house cleaning. Um, nice, nice. But they had a sweet system where they took one of the extension ladders and there was this motor with a shelf, like a, um, an external dumb waiter and oh, they, to bring, bring the shingles up. Yeah. They put like three things, of shingles on it and hit a button and they flew up in like five seconds. Oh, it was amazing. Dude. I, I watched and Now this was a pretty steep roof and I watched guys walk around on the roof, carrying three packs of shingles, not even strapped to anything. They were just walking around the roof with these shingles on their yep. shoulder just yep. going for it and i'm like dude i i was up on a roof once and i mean it's you can obviously you can walk on it but it's like you gotta watch what you're doing you're gonna fall off that thing yeah okay, we had terrible. joanna was two and jackie was pregnant with twins and i was like all right the last thing i need to do to add to this equation this stressful equation is is father of expected twins falls off of roof Poor mother has to take care of, of uh, three tiny ones and, you know, paralyzed, worthless dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, those guys have to carry their nuts around in a wheelbarrow. They're, they're, they're out of control. Yeah. Now, sure. now, Dave, with with firefighting, you guys are oftentimes up on the roof, you know, cutting holes in the roof. Do you guys always cut holes in the roof? Like, how do you guys deal with steep roofs? Not always. Um Often, well, we're lucky in Philadelphia that most of our roofs are flat, uh, like tar roofs that are have no pitch at all or very little pitch. Um, but occasionally, when we do get those like peaked roof jobs, it's it's dicey. It's not it's not fun. It's kind of scary. Like like up there on the roof with a chainsaw, 
or you know whatever you used cutting holes yeah. in there yeah with the chainsaw man it's doing the the roofery walk where your feet are like this on the ridge yeah they balance and you know we have these we have ladders that have these hooks on the end that can kind of like hook over the ridge but they're they're too short to be useful for anything they're like 10 feet long and so if you're actually on most of these roofs are you know 18 to 20 feet from ridge to you know to the to the gutter um and so it's like you're trying to walk up to the top and sometimes we take our six foot pike pole like hooks and hook onto the roof and kind of like use that as like a yeah it's dicey so for for pitch roofs at all like i i know i know you mentioned it previously i'm not sure if it got caught on one of our one of our previous recordings but you had said that you know, it's somebody's job to go in there and make sure that the power's cut. So when you guys start cutting holes and things that you don't get, get zapped, but you do sometimes anyway, because yeah. the power, you know, I'm all about doing your own work if you know how to do it. But for the love of God, please make sure your electrical is done professionally <laughs> and to code. So when Dave, if Dave has to come save your house from a fire, he doesn't get killed by some crazy electrical work that you did, even though he thinks the power's cut at the panel. So. <laughs> Why do I have to do the ground wire? That's so much more twist. Yeah, really. Why should the, I have to pay an electrician to hook my building up to service when I can just use jumper cables? The, the worst, <laughs> there, there's a hierarchy. There's like, there's having the two-prong socket. Well, then at least you know that it's not grounded. But then there's people that put the three-hole socket in there and one don't run the ground to it or i've seen it where they run the ground into the box but don't hook it up all right all right be honest if you've ever had to daisy chain enough extension cords and end up with the two prong uh, I, I i've done that i've done that yeah. and had to get that that uh angle grinder on your roof I've done the one I've, I've never done it, but I've used the cords where it is the three prong cord, but somebody's broken the ground cord off of it. Yep. <laughs> like, with, or, yeah. Yeah. With running, is... with running Christmas lights. And this is, you know, that, that example, what, what movie was it in where he's holding up the extension cord and there's like 15 adapters and oh, just, yeah, Chevy oh, chase. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas <laughs> vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you're like stringing extension cords or uh, Christmas lights along and they're all classic, just two prong. And they're like, oh, I've got my extension cord. I'm going to go from this part of the house or yard or whatever to the other one. And you got the three prong and they design those two prongs with the fat tab to block, specifically block the uh, grounding one so that you don't do this. But then yeah. you just take a chisel and you chisel that out. Then you can take your three prong yeah, extension well. <laughs> and shove the ground underneath it and then you're good to go that's it so i i will admit i i have purchased a extension cord from harbor freight and oh. be, just, just because just because i was you my god <laughs> just because i, I was i, I was hold running on, hold on time out time out have what? we had an episode yet where where evan has not solved a problem with harbor freight no, it, it's useful for a lot of things. It really is, man. I, I love Harbor Freight. Didn't but the very first episode where you were hating on it, saying that that was like the bane of all shops? I love I mean, to hate it. I love to hate it. Yeah. Yeah. The old the old hazard fart, the old hazard fraud, you know, they uh, they make good one time tools. They're disposable. It's a disposable, you know, commodity tool that you can we're use. All hip- once. We're all hypocrites. 
devices and universal woodworkers to make <laughs> strings for our cheap wire wheels. Yeah. But this extension cord, though, I mean, I was just running one light off of it. But when you pick this thing up, you're like, how is this accepting power right now? Like, what what is this? It, yeah. it, it feels like when you pick up an extension cord, like, you know, you guys know what it feels like. You pick it up and you can, it feels like it's together and it's solid. Well, I picked this one up and it feels like it was like in 10 different pieces underneath the, the sheathing on the outside. And I think they just had like a cover and then just ran wires through it, just regular wires and then put <laughs> ends on it. <laughs> yeah. You guys, ever, you guys ever had a, um extension cord get warm? No, I've never had that. That's spooky. Dude. That is a leading cause of fires in yeah, Philadelphia. You, yeah, that is cords. They're they're terrifying. If you are ever lucky enough to catch a, a uh, extension cord warm before it's on fire, it means you have a cut somewhere and something's touching something. Yeah, but, or, or you I've found seen, a way uh, to take your breakers out and just put way too much through way too little. <laughs> I've seen oh, people hook up. Uh, jumper cables wrong and watch the insulation melt off of them as they're trying to jumpstart a car. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people will, like, you see it, and I see it in the neighborhood where I work. People will run, I mean, like, an extension cord is just their cheap solution to, you know, not wanting to call an electrician out. So, you know, you yeah. run an extension cord well so you have an outlet and then they'll have a one not like a surge protector but like you know a, a multi-piece whatever you call that splitter a splitter yeah with like three or four extension cords running off of it and they all run underneath the carpet they walk on all the time and it abrades the insulation yep, yep. causes all kinds of exciting things to happen so so you know, <laughs> story, story time here my my grandfather god bless him he passed away a couple years ago but he's the reason why I got like into tools and, and stuff. And I have some of his tools in my collection and I, I treasure them. But he was he grew up in the Depression. OK, so he was born in, I think, like 1925 or 26. Mm -hmm. So he was he was in the heart of the Depression there. OK. And when he had a house, he had he technically had a basement. That was finished. He finished it himself, ran the electrical, put lights in, and had a basement. But when it time when it came time for tax assessment, he put up a piece of plywood over the entrance and told the tax assessor that it was unfinished, so it wouldn't be assessed as part of his property value. <laughs> and he actually, so he, he lived out in Washington State, and I think they charge they charge like extra for if you want to water your lawn because it, it gets pretty hot there and well there's sometimes yeah so yeah so it, he, he liked he liked to water his lawn so it was green well apparently in this backyard in the corner a piece of the main water line for his neighborhood was sticking up out of the ground so what did he do he drilled a hole in it and put a tap on it so he could water his lawn for free because it never went through his meter I love that. That is so great. Yeah. <laughs> In ingenuity at its finest. Yeah. When I was going through the whole permitting process for my um, garage, when I went to the, the town hall, they're like, 
oh, it's nice to see a young guy going through the right legal process. You wouldn't imagine how we spend 50% of our day just walking around uh, finding new buildings that didn't exist before and yeah. don't pay to support it. <laughs> and and the, guy, the guy was uh, lived down the street was the final inspector. He's like, you know, it's nice to see one get finished off. You wouldn't believe how many people just keep paying the $50 fee every year so that their building doesn't end up on their tax map and thus increase their tax value oh geez following you know uh what do they call it reevaluation yeah 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 interesting so you don't have it stamped and you you pay for the extension then it's an un like you like you had just said evan it's unfinished yeah i could board up my garage every year and then never have to pay taxes on it wow. so so obviously if you add something to your home or add a building it it increases your value and it needs to yes. get reassessed but does it work the same way? I, I don't know. I've never heard of somebody taking a building away or demolishing something and it decreasing the value. Does it work that way? I don't know. <laughs> but they definitely came out to my house within a month of the final paperwork being signed off. Um, but I, I, I have friends over. I have people working in my garage on their products and stuff. I'd rather, I'd rather it be insured so that anybody can go and yeah yeah thing then then try and skate under the radar for a few hundred bucks always better to cover your cover your behind on that one you know yeah. i actually i i went the opposite route at least with my with my shop the guys that i were was were doing work for me were, were all firemen and experienced contractors and they were like listen you can get away with a lot. Just be careful. You know, we'll, we'll try and do all the work with the doors closed, blah, blah, blah. And I had no problems until one day one of my guys was unloading his some of his equipment into the shop. The door was wide open and the entire floor was ripped up and there was half-finished plumbing. You know, oh, man. And, of course, the uh, the inspector man came walking down the block just that same time and uh, kind of got caught red-handed. We had been going for probably five or six months with no issues, and then all of a sudden that was put the kibosh on that whole thing. So how how severe was the beating for your friend who left the door open? He actually was. He's a brilliant. Uh, so he come in his his job that day or his plan that day was to run all of this electrical conduit, and so he he comes in there and the guy goes, uh, you know, who are you? What are you doing? He goes, oh, um. He says, well, I'm an electrician, but I'm not here to do real electrical work. Uh, I'm just changing a light bulb for my friend. Nice. <laughs> he said, changing the light bulb. He said, oh, okay. Well, you know, it kind of gave gave him a sidelong look. He said, yeah, just that one right there. And he pointed, he looked up, and there was a <laughs> light bulb that was, uh, that was burned out. And so he, you know, kind of got the heck out of there real quick after that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's good stuff. There's an underlying theme of this uh, discussion, as it's worth uh, sometimes doing it the right way. Otherwise, things get dodgy. I mean, yeah, you, you got to do it the right way. Because, I mean, but if you think about it, for every one person that gets caught, there's probably 10 people that didn't. There's there's probably, you know, messed up wiring and craziness all over the place. And you don't even know. It's nope. just waiting to cause a problem. You know, I'm I'm sure if you looked into the in the, the files, Dave, you'd probably see faulty wiring calls all the time. There you go. It's the great it's the great circle of taxes. I 
paid the taxes on my garage build so that when other people don't do it the right way, my taxes can pay for, relatively speaking, Dave to come in and save those people's asses yeah. while their investments burn to the ground. That's it, man. Uh, yeah, uh, electrical electrical related is definitely the number one cause of fires, at least in the city of Philadelphia. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a you know I'm not making a statement here, but from my experience, most of the fires we get in one way or another are tied into that. Um, just as far as accidental fires go, I, I feel like people get cheap electrical work done. It's done on the shady. You see people you know taking their they still have the old glass style fuses downstairs in the basement. Oh, the, the screw in kind. Yep. And nice. instead, instead of buying new ones of those for like a dollar a piece, they just put a penny behind them and screw it back in. So, oh man. Jumps. <laughs> and you see, like I said, people that are stealing electrical, electrical, uh, stealing electricity off the grid using jumper cables, just dumb stuff that you know. When you look back, you're like, oh, this place burned to the ground because of of shady electrical. Well, yeah, like, the, <laughs> did you see the electrical they had inside the place? Yeah, it's uh, so always... Can, oh, can, you make, can you make the analogy? It's like that, uh, what do they say? Um, bullets don't kill people, people kill people. It's not the electrical that's burning houses. It's shady people. That yeah, yeah. That, that's the leading, that is the real leading cause of fire. Is the, the three leading causes of fire are men, women, and children. <laughs> oh man people are the, are the main cause people doing dumb stuff and a lot of times it's sad because like you know this is a restoration podcast we can talk about fire for a few minutes but they um it, it follows socioeconomic and demographic lines as far as the majority of the fires and mostly it's it's just poor people trying to make it and it's right it's uh, sad yeah people that are hurting the most wind up doing you know trying to cut corners to cut costs so they can put food on their table basically or, or or continue to pay the rent and have a roof over their head and just to get by you know people are doing like in the winter time you see a lot of people like using their stove or oven to keep the the plant the house you know warm and that winds up catching something near that near their oven or stove on fire and you know it's just it's it's really sad to see man it, it's a thing. Yeah. so i mean this is kind of you know, turned into an electrical episode, you know, here. So I, I don't claim to be an electrical genius by any means. Like I know how to, I know how to put the electrical together, like when it works right, but chasing electrical gremlins is, I hate it. Like when electricity doesn't work, especially in like more complex systems, you know, like control panels and, and things like that. I learned how to do it, but you know, if it's not visible to me, I'm not going to sit there and spend hours and hours trying to chase down where this wire is not working and, and why it isn't working. I do basic stuff, but I, I, I got to give credit to the, you know, electrical people that, you know, it's one thing to install a panel and do it from scratch because you know exactly what you're doing and you know where things are supposed to go. But going in to somebody's house that either one, it's old or two, they've tried to do stuff on their own, and you have no idea what they've done, and trying to figure out how to fix it. I, I got to give you guys credit. That's 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 awesome. Yeah, that is the reason why I did not want that Frankenstein switch out of. Uh, oh, 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 that thing was oh, sweet. The suicide yeah, lever. <laughs> I got buzzed on that thing. I'm like, this thing is in open air, and all of these contacts have 120 running to them. Like, 
there is no way I am going to try and get to the backside of this and trust that this is wired up. That it's not. I, w- I wish you could have at least disconnected it and taken it with you so you could like put it on the wall and, or something in your shop. That, that thing was cool. cool. It was cool. It looked cool. But I think, yeah. that's, how, I think that's how. What was that guy's name again? Do you, anybody remember his name? Martin. Martin. I think that's how Martin got the stutter. He probably got ex- he got exploded. Yeah. That poor man. Dude, Dave, we we basically, you know, we, well, we turned, he pulled the whole breaker out of the wall to turn the thing off. Yeah. And then <laughs> he said he wasn't going to put it back in. I hope he didn't put it back in because Dave's in, over there just hammering the wire, the bare wires down into the floor. <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's just, that's just what I do. <laughs> Are you watching the fire reports from Ellesmere, Delaware? <laughs> Somebody's going to walk across the floor and get completely yoinked on the... Yeah. <laughs> They're walking in bare feet and then yeah. they look down and there's nothing below their knee, just dust. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. All right. So I, because I'm still working on, like I said, I think I started by saying I bought a bunch of wiring. Um, I have all the wiring for the garage, save the wires to pull to the Century 1899 motor. And I'll ask you guys' opinion. We all saw it run. Right. We all saw that it lived in a box to keep it dust free. And, the, you know, the front and back of that are anything but dust exclusive. Yeah. Uh, it's got quite a bit of like oily residue inside and out. Is the right thing to wire it up, get the machine running? Or to take the opportunity that this thing's not bolted to the floor and go at this motor first time motor cleaner job and see if I can ma- improve it for the future. Here's what uh, I, yeah, I go ahead, go, go ahead, Dave. I, I got some thoughts, but I'm sure you're probably going to say some similar things. So I, I wouldn't let that motor intimidate you um, because, one, it's just a bunch of mechanical fasteners that are holding it together. For the most part. I mean, your, your, uh, I always get the parts mixed up. Your rotor, the part that actually your shaft and all that stuff, it's going to have some pieces that are pressed together and wound with your, your, your windings on there and everything like that. That can be a little tricky as far as like if you, you know, you put something crazy on there, you could, you might be able, you might screw that up, especially if it's got some like, uh, fabric insulated wires. That's, that's what I'm worried about is if I go in there with cleaners, yeah, go in there with brushes. If I go and tweak something or lift something that I'm taking a working motor and, you know, think about how how robust that thing is. I mean, it's every wire in there is going to be large one. And uh, I mean, I think I think common sense prevails. I think you'll take you'll start unbolting the thing and taking a good look inside and see what you have. And I think you'll know whether or not it makes sense for you to continue. I think you're going to, if you see something, that looks very fragile and delicate. You you're thinking one of two things. Well, either I, a, I need to replace this because it looks screwed up and I don't really want to trust this uh, going forward in my building or, you know, or two, Oh, it looks pretty stout. I can probably proceed further without really worrying too much. And I think also like, so a lot of those connections you could probably replace easily. You're just doing point-to-point mechanical fastening wires to to bolts, basically, yep. is usually what that is. So I would recommend opening it up, 
getting everything clean, spraying some salt, maybe some solvent in there. I get a little bit dicey with that. I've had. People- yeah, I don't know about the solvent because you don't want it. It, it would have to be. That's why I was asking you, James, the other day, if there's solvent or, or electrical motor cleaner. I know there's something out there that you can spray on the windings and stuff to clean it, but it doesn't take the lacquer off the wires. Right. Because if, if you. Could you paint new lacquer on them though? No, because they're all they're all individually lacquered, and even if so, if you melted the lacquer off and then yeah. relacquered it, all those wires under there are still touching each other, and yeah. they're they're shorted out now. Gotcha. Oh, I didn't realize that. That that's why I wanted to be careful, is because with a hundred and twenty year old motor. Yeah. Lord help me if I go excavate and go lift things and go use twenty first century chemicals. I have no idea how far that's going to go past what was in there. So I, I think you should definitely, like Dave said, take it apart, you know, evaluate this situation. But I don't think you're really going to hurt that much if you take it apart and, you know, be gentle with it and don't throw it around. But go oh, in there no with throwing that motor around. That yeah. thing. Well, you're right. <laughs> but go in, go in there with some soft bristle brushes um, if you can find a proper cleaner, I would heavily research it first, yeah. use that sparingly, but at least get in there with a brush and get any of the debris that you can out of there. Cause it's only going to help. So. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm trying to figure out what's, how do I re-enclose it? Because it basically sits right underneath the bandsaw and the bandsaw out of all of those tools makes the finest of dust. And right. Well, I, I feel like if you do I show off the motor uh, as something of, of equal uh, impressive nature as the tool without throwing it in another wooden box. Well, why does it have to be enclosed, though? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does. It does sit far enough away from. I mean, it does have that long belt. So and I feel like you're the kind of person that would, you know, even if you left the motor out and you used the machine for the, a, a long day and had dust all over it that. You know, blowing it off and sweeping up the dust, yep. I think, you know, will prolong the the life of it um, and not having the dust sit on there and have a chance to stick to the oil and the grease and stuff that's actually in the motor. Yeah. So clean, doing having a, a regimented cleaning schedule, you know, after I use this tool, I'm going to blow the motor off and make sure that I can get all this stuff out. The motor yeah. has open the motor has open well uh, oiled. um what's the word bearings yeah so it, it's got the cover the like the rolled cover ports and those yeah. are fitting yeah. so that's what i'd be worried about is stuff getting into all my my frictional surfaces to I mean, if you really wanted to show it off and you and you thought that uh you wanted to have some kind of enclosure for it make one out of make one out of acrylic and you can still see it you blow it ah, just up. punch a hole in a fish tank yeah now, now there you go. pulling pulling a uh a page out of the book of Dave. If that hangs <laughs> upside down from your ceiling, and then yes, yes, settled. I was gonna say that. If, <laughs> what is it? What is it? The jointer, so the, the pulley for the motor, and then the joiners right above it. Yeah. Okay. If the jointer wasn't in the way, I think that would be cool as hell to have that motor mounted to the ceiling and have the belt run down onto the pulley. He's not wrong. Yeah, that's where I, I was thinking if I could find something robust enough. Or if I could get a one-to-one wheel and be able to make a 90-degree turn anywhere, whether it's behind the joiner or behind the, the bandsaw, uh, and then go up. Um, the other thing, too, is if, if I'm designing this for the future, 
almost have a an outhouse hut attached to the back of the gar- the garage where the motor goes through the wall and it's just in its own little uh, box outside and just the belt comes in. But I make a much longer belt um, without the whole thing being a tripping hazard. But I mean, it's easily 400 pounds. There's no yeah. way. <laughs> I'd be terrified of putting that thing up in the air without it being on some sort of ridiculous superstructure. So now, now is the thing where we basically and then I'm not gonna say out or oil it because that's going to be a pain in the butt to get to. You're right. Yeah. So now, now is the time when we basically say, James, it's time for you to install a line shaft and get the whole thing going, and you need to start collecting a bunch of line shaft driven tools. That's it. Power your line shaft using the motor, which you can put anywhere, and then, you know, just belt everything off of that. You could belt your AOB drill off of it. You could belt your <laughs> sander off of it. It'd be great. I mean, like, you can do everything. That would be sweet. That would be so much more engineering to figure out. It's, I'm already having a hard time with its footprint, just trying to find a way to stick it into a, a new space. Speaking so- of line shaft, here is the history the history fact for the day. Do you guys know where the term grease monkey came from? I would assume grease. Well, yes. Okay. He's, Dave, Dave, you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the term grease monkey came from the, ba- the old days when they had line shafts. And all of those bearings and all of those things that the shafts rode on had to get greased and they used kids you know back before they had child labor laws they had children that would that would crawl up in the rafters and grease all of those things and the the people working in the in the factory said that they looked like monkeys hopping around up on the rafters so that's why they called them grease monkeys how about it they really should bring that back you know kids are they don't have the work ethic that they used to <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man! Oh boy! But I, I, I thought that was an awesome fact, though. You know, grease monkeys. That, that was that was a cool one. That's cool. I, I, I appreciate those like origin stories for different things that you hear, like that, like those sayings or different. You know, they all have a, a backstory. Yeah, it's all. I like the. Um, you ever seen a big line shaft setup where they got the little rings? that roll back and forth just to keep the cobwebs from building up on the shafts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, that's cool. They, they're maybe like a six-inch ring. they just like a hoop, and they put it around, and it's and it's, uh, and they basically just spin, and then they bounce back. Yeah, that's cool. The wheels, and that's simply just to keep cobwebs and stuff from developing on it. Well, Do you ever see a line shaft that looks like it's 1,200 years old, caked in an ungodly amount of grease and, and oil, and you're like, man, this thing hasn't ran in 50 years. And then the guy's like, no, I just used this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's just never been cleaned, but it works fine. It's yeah. been maintained yeah. expertly throughout its entire lifespan. It, it's amazing. I don't think certain parts of the Sydney have been cleaned ever. And yet every fastener, after you break the, the braking torque, comes out so smooth. It, mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, just another era. So, remember, remember, children. Cross their cross threading is nature's Loctite. <laughs> did you did you send the picture? Uh, if you wanted to get back at a buddy. Yeah, when, yeah. When he said, no, I, "I have a buddy uh-oh. that can do this cheaper. Just coat the the whole bowl in red Loctite when you put it back together." <laughs> uh, we'll have to put old. that on. We'll have to put that on the Instagram. Yes, uh, we will. 
Perfect, perfect revenge. So sweet. Oh man. Oh goodness gracious, line chefs. This this episode has taken an interesting twist. We've yeah. gone all over the place, but it's Electric, good though. Electrical line shaft. There you go. You need to ground your line shaft. Then you can send it out to your whole shop, and you can just power everything from your line shaft. Yeah. Yep. Generator on the end of that thing. You get copper belts. That'd be sweet. No. I think that would be very dangerous. Very <laughs> dangerous. Just, you walk up on this thin, rotating razor blade. This takes your arm is gone. Uh, we're gonna. We're talking about maybe talking talking some heat and fire related stuff. Well, we've talked about what fire will do to the rest of the world. We can yeah. talk about how it's useful. If you burn your shop down, all of the fasteners and all of your tools will be loosened up and easier to just to break apart. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Fringe benefit. I mean, if you're thinking about rebuilding all the tools that you you know burn to the ground, hopefully all your tools are metal and not plastic, so they're easy to rebuild. Well, well Dave, Dave, wasn't wasn't your wasn't your printing press in a fire, or was that some? I maybe mean, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. I yeah, you're thinking of something else. Okay. Uh, not not knowledge. Um, oh, there was one. I think I think I sent you one that. The guy had it for sale, and he said it was in a fire. I think that's what I was thinking about. Oh, okay, right. I remember that now that you mentioned it, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you started to go back to a previous topic. You talk, started talking about electrical, you know, electrical demons plaguing all kinds of problems. And it's interesting, starting down the road with some of this auto restoration stuff, the recommendation has literally, from, from many people, has literally been replace everything. Because if you start new, at least your the chances of of avoiding that whole problem is yeah yeah. I mean, if yeah. if you're if you're doing it to the level that you're doing it, I would do it. You know, because yeah. why why not? You have it all apart. You're yeah. gonna be doing it like do you're doing it. I would do it. Yeah, you're doing it like you do it. Then definitely do it. Do it well. Do it. Do it. That that might be <laughs> that might be the you know today's episode. If you're doing it like you're doing it. Just do it. Yeah. Nike <laughs> no. is going to sue us. Are they going to get all of our assets? Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing compared to to where you're at with your motor, Dave, but that old adage of this is the easiest time for you to address something with it all open. Yep. Uh, so that's where I'm at is, is if I open that motor up, you know, I've committed it into a non-working position and yeah. do I deal with it and take on the next the next problem to make it better for the future or if I, if I never cracked it open and it was working you know just yeah like if, if you if you take your wires and you try to bend them and they sound like a glow stick you should probably re replace it <laughs> yeah like, pieces yep. and chunk starts spalling off of the outside edge as you yep. bend it that means that they're good and useful and you should keep them I was, right. I was surprised when you were taking those um, flatness measurements across your head. That was awesome. You were getting 2,000, less than 2,000. Man, so cool. All right, so the, those of you who didn't know, see that on Instagram. So I was checking the the top of my engine block for flatness using a precision ground. The deck. It's called the deck, Dave. Oh, my gosh. You're not my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the deck. So <laughs> I was on the deck drinking a beer with my precision straight edge. Um, but yeah, so 
just to check for flatness or, or high and low spots, I was able to put a 2,000, or I was not able to put a 2,000th of an inch thick uh, piece of feeler stock through any portion of that, underneath that, that, that straight edge. It just was completely dead flat. But even still, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people, um, despite its flatness, it, it probably makes sense to have it, to have it decked, to have it machined flat again. Oh my God, uh, really? To improve the surface finish and potentially improve the like the mating. So the main thing with those being flat and having nice finish is is um, oil sealing and coolant sealing. Yeah. Well, and gas sealing too, of course. But if um, if the finish is wonky and there is some pitting in uh, several spots. It could cause oil to get in between the head and the gasket. It could cause fluids from the coolant to get, you know, to make their way in there. And it's just not worth it. And I'm having, I'm taking it to the machine shop on, um, I'm actually taking, I have the block and all the parts in the bed of my truck. I'm taking it to the machine shop on Monday. I, uh, yeah, because quote. Yeah, I'm going to get a quote. They're going to, at the very least, the first, pl- I, the first place I have going, taking it to, has been highly recommended, so they're gonna do a hot tank treatment on it, which just gets all the oil and nastiness off it. They basically like boil it um, in solvent, and then they're gonna do um, magna fluxing, which is really interesting. So, if you're not familiar with magna fluxing, they take a giant electromagnet and they hold it up to the block, the the, the cast iron engine block, and then they sprinkle some kind of a like a neon colored magnetic powder onto it or metal based powder. And then they they put the the magnet on on the opposite side of the engine, I guess, and it it draws those particulates, those particles into any cracks that may have occurred, like very yeah, small cracks, yep. and highlights them. Yeah, so. those, those those cracks, like you you could look at that that engine block with your eyes and think, man, this thing's perfect. When when you man, when you magnaflux it, it will find even the tiniest crack, and you'll know right away because it, it it falls right in there and lights it up, you know that whatever yeah. color they have. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really cool process, but like, you know, like I was saying, if, you know, Dave, if you, you know, got two thousands, less than two thousands of deviation over the top of top of your block there, if you put it back together with a nice high quality new gasket, will it work? Probably. But you know, if you yeah. have it apart to that level, I mean, I know it ultimately comes down to money because mach- that machine shop work isn't cheap, but no. you know that. Hey, this thing was put back together in its best possible condition, and it's ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those things. I mean, this is this is restoration work. I feel like when it comes to something like this, and I, I think the same kind of would fall to any kind of power generating equipment. We're talking about motors, you know, here electric motors. Before, um, you can do all the cosmetic work in the world on a big cast iron machine, and if it doesn't run right, it's basically not worth anything. Yeah. So as far as this restoration of my truck goes, this is not something that I can really do on my own. I could probably invest in, you know, equipment and attachments for my Bridgeport and maybe get lucky and with some of these machining operations, but I'm no real machinist. This is one of those things where I don't I do want to save money, but I can save money in a lot of other areas in this restoration. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if the car if the truck doesn't run, I mean, what's the point? Yeah, right? you, you could have the most beautiful truck, but if the engine's complete garbage, you know what? <laughs> yeah. 
What's the point? Yeah, it's a big old paperweight. So that, that's <laughs> you can, you can Flintstone it. That's another yeah. message through all this is if there comes a point where it needs to be done right and there's an expert that can be that do it right, you can uh, be confident that's going to be done right and it sets you up for the next stage and you know the, the money is, is well spent in that regard, it's worth doing. Especially oh. if, if it, you know, some of these things that you can't practice on, you, you'd either be committed to it or you'd, you'd have to live with a lesser quality. And uh, I'm going to eat my own words from the last episode. Um, did you guys read the next article I sent you on the Greeley, Greenly uh, Variety Woodworker? I did, yeah. My yeah. super pissed. They are treating that thing to a spa restoration. They, oh, yeah. They work with the Smithsonian. I I will take it all back. Forty thousand dollars. Yeah, now that's that's what I like to hear, man. That that that's gonna be an awesome restoration. For what they're gonna do to that machine, it is amazing. It is every restoration dream to be able to throw that kind of capacity and care. Yeah. Every single aspect of that machine. I, I hope. Like, I feel like a lot of that money, a lot of that budget is just going to shipping. It sounds like they're going to be shipping it off to different locations around the U S to have like original was well, they're They're talking about using, put, putting it in a massive planer to metal planer to plane yeah. the surface as, yeah. as fact as it was done by factory. Yep. Yep. Just, just to find someone who can jig up their, their metal surfacer over a, 4,000 pound casting, you know, that knocks every machine shop out of the, out of the running. Like you got to find Except something for like two, have the bed for that. Right. And then, and then be able to jig it up. And yeah, I, and they're, they're doing glass bead and soda blasting to bare metal. They're storing it in low humidity. They're filling it with red lead foundation putty. They're painting it. I'm sorry. They're, they're priming it. Then they're painting it three times over and they're cataloging every part as it comes apart for the Smithsonian records. So just the documentation. Yeah, cool. that's that's worth it. I, I don't I don't know. I can't remember if I read in the article, but I, I hope I sincerely hope that they are going to be videoing and, and recording some of this process. Yeah, so that, will be. I would imagine. And then the, the 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 beautiful image at the end of this is the machine sitting in the museum in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, with the windows behind it looking out on the Greenlee manufacturing plant. That is amazing. What yeah. is that thing? Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be awesome. That'd be a fun trip. And yeah. we have we have a uh, uh, restoration podcast field trip. That's right. Put it onto our agenda of field trips. I'm down. Yep. What's the budget like? Oh, zero still. Dang. Okay. Uh, dang it. <laughs> well, I got enough. <laughs> Enough pop tarts and something driving faster than you, Hall. I'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait till there's no. We'll wait till there's snow on the ground again, just so that you're comfortable. We you know. It's well snow. by by the by the it's time snow. yesterday. <laughs> oh man! Have, by the time they have the uh, this this restoration done, Dave will have the power wagon done, so he can whip by and pick us up, and we'll roll over to see the restoration in the power wagon. That's yeah, fun. that's right. Dave will drive up here, pick me up. Yeah. Back I'll leave today. <laughs> I'm not that far away. All the way up. <laughs> I mean, as as much as I I know Dave's gonna have that truck back together and, and looking real pretty, I almost want it to be like 
sputtering and, and black smoke pouring out of it as he rolls up and be like, hey, guys, come on. We're going on a trip. Let's go. Oh, man. What's the name of the uh, tow truck from Cars? Oh, uh, Mater. 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 <laughs> yeah. Don't ask any questions. Just get in. Let's go. Yeah. I want, I want Dave to come out, slide across the hood and be like, come on, boys. We're going. <laughs> Saddle up, boys. You boys like Mexico? <laughs> uh, you gonna paint old Dixie on the hood? Uh, you know what? Speaking of paint on the truck, I was actually thinking about like I kind of like the idea of it being kind of dull. You know, I don't want it to look like a hot rod. You know, I want it to look kind of like a farm truck. I was like, you know what? That's one place I could save some money if I just got like you know some nice uh, like oil-based paint and just got some like rollers. <laughs> just like yeah well i i every, seen, every car guy just cringe I know, I'm okay. I know. go f off that's your problem i've seen <laughs> i've seen cars that looked like they're original i i've not personally i've seen in videos of them where they paint them you know to a reasonable level but then they pour these chemicals and things over them and use sanding pads yeah and it, it rusts them and melts the paint <laughs> off and makes it look like it's set in a field for 50 years. Wow. And then and then they clear over it like perfect clear coat and it preserves that finish. Yeah. And it looks really cool. Hmm. Yeah. I know people uh, when I lived in California, people would specifically like build up their Novas uh, and all these super muscle cars, but do no exterior body work. That's and so that way they, they, they call them sleepers. And that yep. way, when they rolled up to an intersection next to something like a Corvette, and then they just laid out in neutral, and let the motor sing. You know, they, they did it all for the guy's look of going, really? That rust bucket's about to tear me into one? <laughs> That's badass. I like that. Those Have you ever seen those rat rods people make? They call them rat rods. They are super cool. For those not informed, so the difference between a hot rod and a rat rod, which I did not realize, I just didn't know. So a hot rod is where you know you get like the '30s, the '30s gangster car, and they deck it out and they make it, you know, put V8s in them and make them super fast, beautiful paint jobs. You know, we're talking the eighty thousand dollar, you know, Ford Model T, totally. Anyway, rat rod is they they do the engine work, but the whole body just looks like complete trash. They left it basically as found in the field. Their the repairs are made with license plate panels and patches. Yeah, and stuff. great. Look, you should look it up if you haven't seen them before. They're fun. They'll they'll blow your doors off going down the highway, and chunks of rust will be flying off. <laughs> yeah. that, that rod was my first introduction, like learning about them about suicide doors. Like the yeah, door oh, those are sweet. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, those things just look like someone uh, someone took a kid sketch and went, yeah, I can weld that. <laughs> every, every child. Flux core welder, I'll just slap it together. Every child wants flames coming out of their exhaust. I can give that to them. <laughs> Speaking of scabby welds, my goodness, I've been cutting scabby welds for the last three nights with. Uh, so someone. At one point or another, took the winch bumper. So, like the power wagon has this bumper with a built-in winch on it. All of them, or or the it one was, you're working on, or the other one? It was a factory option. So they came with or without the winch. Or, and in order to run the winch, you would have to buy a PTO or a power takeoff unit that would bolt onto the side of your transmission. 
mm-hmm. and then you had to buy, you know, a PTO shaft that would bolt onto the front of the truck uh, through some different, uh, you know, uh, anyway, whatever. So you could get a, you could have a winch as an option from the factory. So the one truck I have has that option, which is basically why I bought that truck, you know, and and some other reasons as well. But um, what they had done was they had put a bunch of metal on this thing. They, they they welded the two sides of the bumpers together with a giant piece of angle iron just with, like, the nastiest stick weld job you can imagine. There's spatter everywhere. Do you think that uh, shop, the shop did that? Or do you think someone retrofitted later? Oh, it was definitely like a, like Billy Bob snowplow operator decided they were <laughs> this power wagon into a snowplow truck. And this thing, like, as I've pulled the layers off of this old truck um, – and the reason it's the part truck is because the frame is completely shot. But as I've peeled more further back, there's plates stick welded onto the side of the frame where it had broken at some point in the past or cracked. And like, but but yeah, like the same stick welder did this expert job on the frame. Also did all this great work on the bumpers, which I'm recovering. So I've spent the last couple nights with a flap or not a flap disc with a really thin wafer cutting disc on my angle grinder just cutting scab welds off and, you know, chiseling away to break the things apart. It has been, I mean, it's very satisfying work. I feel like it's the most, it's like the satisfying part of restoration, kind of making a big dirt mess, making a lot of noise, banging on stuff, and then getting something at the end of it. But it's been interesting to say the least. Now, Dave, I, I saw your, your Instagram story. I, I highly suggest it's time to retire your cup wheel. Yes. Yeah, you saw that. Man, yeah, that, that I had like that was like a quarter inch of wire left on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the. It's funny because that was an almost brand new cup wheel when I started out, uh, maybe three or four days ago, and it's yeah, it's just I've just beat the heck out of it. The frame is so nasty as far as so on the actual, the good frame is just covered in so much debris from over the years that wire wheeling all that stuff off and getting the old paint off and stuff has just left it. it well, it, it chewed out the whole cup wheel. <laughs> right, right. You're able to do something like something else, like pressure wash it or something just to add agitation without destroying your angle grinder. Well, it's just an attachment. It's just like a $20 bolt on piece for the angle grinder. They're well, great. Good. You're putting hours on that thing. That's true. Um, so, like, what you could do, and I would imagine it would work fine. Like, you could go in with a scraper and get a lot of that stuff off, or like you could, like you said, power washing. I think would be a good option too. Some of that stuff is so caked on that it, I think it would be a pain unless you had a really high end, like maybe gas powered power washer. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short eventually I'm going to just sandblast the whole thing. I'm kind of looking forward to getting one of those big canister sandblasters like from Harvard, yeah. you know, setting up a little plastic tent inside my garage and, and sandblasting the heck out of the thing. When, when you did the, uh, the plumbing, did you get, did you get floor drains put in your shop? I did. Okay, good. Yeah. That, that's nice to have. Yeah. I I, uh, I screwed up though. I specified the floor to have zero fall at all toward the drains so that I could have. Well, I told them that I wanted it to be dead flat for you know for setting up machinery on, and they didn't uh, put any 
any fall at all toward the drain, even like a foot away from the drain, it's dead flat up to it. So like I have to squeegee everything. But you get, do you have one of those like uh, three? You have one of those three foot wide squeegees on a pole where you can just like like pull the whole floor in. Yeah, yeah, it's great, man. It's fun. Uh, it's well, it's not fun, but it's easy. Push all the water into the old trough. No biggie. Did you oversize that that trough to take all the debris that you're shoving down it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've actually been trying to be really careful because, like, uh, I don't want to have to deal with that whole nightmare of having to get a plumber out and snake it and have them, you know, vacuum it all out or whatever the heck they have to do. So I've really been trying to be, be cautious, at least with big debris. I mean, overall, I mean, over time, all the dust settling is probably going to bite me in the butt, but... They're, the drains are really set up for an, like either industry or for heavy, I guess, they have a collection system. So the water goes in and it falls into a settle, like a little settlement thing mm. or it actually goes down into the hole. Are you able to clean that out? If yeah. You need to? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. I, uh, I have a fun. recent plumbing home story. Uh, our children were in, uh, encouraged to go find rocks in the woods. <laughs> and, um, they decided to wash them all off in the in the sink. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, our sink was filling up, so nice. I got to take that apart and um, remove all of my uh, earthly filter filtration that I was providing my drainage. Um, to nice. Fill up the whole uh, the whole U bend. No, actually, it was right there at the um, the little stopper, the mm. little kick uh, lever that'll push the stopper up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of okay, rocks. okay, kids. We have uh, homeschool today. Today's lesson is plumbing. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I had it open, and you know, like I had it open. I was my head was under there, and my my uh, daughter was trying to turn the the valves on. I didn't turn the water off because that takes too long, right? Nice. So right. It was it was uh, a lesson in physics and a lesson in in filtration. It was I I did do that the other day. The the wife wanted a new um faucet so i did install a new faucet right above our kitchen sink so that, that was uh you know it's it's not the the hardest project in the world but still you know you feel accomplished when you get that done because the old faucet was shaking around and barely held, holding on and now it's <laughs> nice and sturdy i got a nice new one so that's that's good nice yeah Please, again on your home ownership man it really does feel good to be able to do that stuff and it to be yours doesn't it absolutely it's real yeah, and I, I can do it. i mean not that i would but you know i i could you know, tear a hole in the wall, and I did it. It's my house. I do what I want. You know? Yeah. 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 How old, How old is your house? It's for, it was built in 2008, so it's not terribly old. Okay. We don't have to worry about Chinese drywall or like aluminum wire or anything. No, no, it's it's a quality house. It was built by by a, a nice, uh, a high end, reputable home builder that that builds very nice houses. So, yeah. It can the uh, the floors can support the weight of your your uh, your vices is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the slab hasn't cracked yet, so we're good. Okay. Can you take us on? Can you take us on a shop tour? Are you mobile? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, do I want to be mobile? No, but I can. So. Fuck. <laughs> right. uh, Come on, Superman. Show us what you got. All right, let's see. Let me flip it around here. Where's my? There it is. All right, so well, this oh, is the, lovely green carpet. Yeah, this is the finished part of the base. So half the basement's finished. Okay, yep. so I've got I've got double doors that lead out to the shop, and then I have another door that leads out to the shop as well. There's my there's the big uh, projection screen, so I can put movies in. They have a, a hookup for a um, 
projector, so I need to get a projector. Did you draw that SpongeBob? No, my wife did. Oh my god, she is, <laughs> she is a rare talent. Yeah, yeah, she likes. She came down and drew that the other day. That's cool. But then I've got. So, here's the uh, the stairs when you first come down to the to the basement here. Okay. And then I've got this creepy little hidey hole where well, my, nice. my my kid is gonna get stuck. <laughs> so I, I put the I put the arbor press there. <laughs> here's the one half of the shop. I got to figure out how to set it up. But here's the, you know, I got toolboxes. Got my one workbench. This is where I was doing the wiring, so that my panel is in the basement. It's not in the garage. Okay. So I I put uh, I ran new wires up into the ceiling, and then I put a uh, uh, outlet box in the ceiling so that I can. Uh, plug my lights in so that when I have shop lights over, I'm going to build a workbench in this corner. Nice. And I have shop lights that'll go there and plug into that. How's your ceiling height in there? You, you're a giant person. I feel like does it? You need a good ceiling height. Yeah, th these are these are eight foot ceilings here. Up in the first floor is actually nine foot ceilings. Wow. The first time in my life that I can not touch the ceiling in a house. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> so for you. And then here's my main workbench, and then this is the only area that didn't have an outlet. Um, so I, I wanted outlets over there to do the lights, and then I put an outlet up on top of the workbench so that I can plug in my light that goes above this one, and then I put an outlet below so that I can have power to my power bar that I, I put in the front of my workbench. Oh, cool. You and then about, You have to worry about outlets too low in a basement for like a flood, flood line? I, I put them at this. I put them at 18 inches. I believe that's what it has to be minimum is 18 inches off the floor. All right, just pause right there. That yeah. space underneath the stairs. If I had a finished basement like that, that would be the only space I'd be allowed for tools. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta figure. I gotta figure out what to do with this space. I, I think I'm gonna put like shelves or something so I can have storage. You know, make some use of it. You should put a secret door to across the front of it, so it's like. A, I was thinking about that, yeah. You know. Yeah. But then I've got, um, so I got vices in limbo right now. They're in storage, on the ground. Um, outlet right there, which is great. This is the wall to the finished part. I'm gonna put a workbench here, lights over the top, and then I have power there. Cool. Um, I lost this corner. So I got the water heater and the in the heater and stuff. But then here's my my lathe table. Nice. And then I'm gonna put a workbench against this wall, and it's got an outlet right there. So I'm doing I'm doing okay. I I'm doing a lot a lot better than the previous house. I only had one outlet, one 15 amp outlet in my old basement that I had an electrical hazard coming out of. Yeah. Because I needed power places. So now I have like five five outlets in the basement, and it's gonna be great. That's awesome, man. Good for you. I'm happy for you. That makes such a difference being able to set up your own space. Without yeah, and permission to your landlord or something, you know. You know, if I didn't have a, a child coming in September, <coughs> I I would I'm really thinking I I before like I, I had to think about whether or not I wanted to tear the carpet out of the finished part of the basement and use it all as a shop because it's a big portion of the basement that's taken up by the finished area. But you know, I wanted to have a, a kids area where they can have their stuff and it's not strewn all over the living room when people come to visit. So. It is. I will tell you, that's what, that's what most of our basement is, is our space for the kids to be messy and stay messy. And that yeah. way our living room doesn't have to be that. Right. They need a, they need like a romper room. And if that's the one that works best for you, that's the move. 
I mean, we do have a loft. Like I think when they when they built the house, this loft area, you could have opted for another bedroom, but they left it open as a loft. So we have that upstairs as well. But I think, you know, as they get older, if they want to, you know, play games or have friends over this, you know, be a space to for them to hang out and not have to sit with their parents, you know, heaven forbid. Mm. Hmm, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You need to, I had a, a, a light bulb moment. You need to create like the library system, like the Dewey decimal system where yeah. underneath your stairs, you just pull out this super long drawer and it's just a catalog of all your rices. Yes. Yes. That'd <laughs> and, be great. And it's, it's like a humidor for an anti-humid or for vices. So it's this perfectly sealed dry yeah. environment. <laughs> that would be no amazing. light. You pull it out and like steam comes out. Yeah, you guys, you've guys seen a wine cellar before, but have you seen a vice cellar? Oh, <laughs> oh very nice. Are chains involved? They can be. <laughs> now we're talking. Now it's a party. Yeah. I saw, I saw your uh, your adult swing that you had down there. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that was just your your engine crane. Yeah, yeah, my engine <laughs> crane. Yeah. That, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, the whiskey's talking. I apologize. That's all right. Uh, Sweet basement, Evan. I'm jealous. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's you clean. It. It's clean, and uh, for that, we thank you. We yeah. salute, sir. We do. So, takeaways for today, gentlemen. I'm thinking, you know, we talked a good bit about electrical. I think my my takeaway for the day is absolutely 100%. If you feel comfortable doing your own work, go ahead and do it. But just make sure you're out, you're going out there and you're researching exactly what you need, proper wire sizes, outlets, breakers. You know, if you're going to do it, do it right, um, so that Dave doesn't have to come save you when your house catches on fire. So make sure you're taking care of. You know, look up a code book. Code books aren't that expensive. You can buy a book on code. You can watch YouTube videos. There's hundreds and hundreds of YouTube videos that show you how to wire things up, how to do it properly, show you all those tips and tricks. Um, so if you're going to do your own electrical work, by all means, go ahead. But please just do it safe. So that's my takeaway for today. Yeah, I'd say I, mine, uh, mine is going to be if you have an important job that is complicated and difficult and you're not really sure if you can do it right, it's not a bad idea to farm it out to somebody that's an expert. Uh, I've got my engine that I need to have rebuilt. And we're talking a little bit about James's electric motor that needs to be rebuilt. Um Sometimes it makes all the difference in the world to consult with an expert. As a matter of fact, real quick, someone told, gave me a good analogy that kind of helped me wrap my head around this for myself. As someone that likes to do all the work myself and feels a little bit guilty when I have to ask for help, they said, uh, imagine, Dave, if, if you were a homeowner and you were just fighting a fire all by yourself with a garden hose, wouldn't you rather have the fire department come out with their big pumps and their big equipment and they actually have the know-how to put the fire out in your house? It's like, yeah, I guess I kind of would. There's really no shame in that, you know. Anyway, so, but, you know, think about that if you have to do some real work, especially with something that's a critical, a critical component, and you're not sure if you can do it right, ask for help, consult with an expert, take it to a shop that can do it right. Well, I, I guess technically there's nothing that says you have to call the fire department if your house is on fire. You could stand there no. and try to try to, you know, fight it with the garden hose. You know, more power to you, but. Roast marshmallows. <laughs> We we uh we, we refer to our hose lines as lines. Uh, so like you know we've got the inch three quarter line, the two and a half inch line. We call homeowners when they fight the fire, they're fighting with the green line. You know the garden hose. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> nice. 
Um, well, since the obvious takeaways were taken, I will round it up with the uh, feel-good takeaway of if you aren't sure, make out, make sure you reach out to your best buddies and just talk it out because there yeah. might just be another opinion out there that helps you uh, continue your thought process towards one way or the other. Yeah, I think so, I think we have at least one and a half brains amongst the three of us. So yeah. we're yeah, we group the heck out of all of our problems. It's great. And if if you uh, if you have questions and you just want someone to talk things out, uh, hit us up. Instagram, email. We've been loving the feedback. So uh, thank you guys for keeping us in the loop on your projects. We're happy that you're coming along on ours. It's nice to have uh, a bigger community in all this. For sure. Just as uh, James said, make sure to hit us up on our Instagram at the Restoration Podcast, as well as our email, the Restoration Podcast at gmail.com. And we thank you for your listenership. We appreciate you. Make sure you keep us in the loop with what you're doing. Tag us in your new projects on Instagram if you follow us there. And this has been the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. All right. Good night, y'all. Another fun one. Have a good one. Bye. 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 I've got cabin fever. fortunate i feel like uh we've talked about this in the past too you know rest- restoration types tend to be the um the solo more solo tending people so the uh the uh social distancing thing i think i already have down pretty well and i'm okay with that so <laughs> this is not the end of the world at least for me <laughs> i i am a social creature in my garage jd comes over at least once a week so not having him over for months now is killing me we've got projects that have just been sitting uh, you miss your boyfriend i do i miss jd he's got his internet boyfriends so yeah you <laughs> internet boyfriend. yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just had such a sweet time talking about our rusty metal you guys oh jeez. <laughs> what do we call it the 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 quarantine catch-up with James Evan and where we were Hey, I sound a little better than that. Yo, I like that lo-fi sound, man. It sounded great. It was cool. <laughs> well, I, so that was that was just how the audio was. I just snipped it right out because, honestly, right after he said that, you said, that sounds so cool. I did. I was really excited about it. It sounded awesome. And then it did sound awesome. Yeah, like 20 times every time I heard it I was really excited <laughs> the quarantine catch up with James Evan and Dave <laughs> that's got a that's got a nice ring to it <laughs>